Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. The Iron Woman Podcast is proud to be supported by Zelios Skincare. Zelios products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, swim and sport shower products and body lotion you can get 20 percent off at teamzelios.com by using the code ironwomen yep you heard it right get 20 percent off your zelios order with the code ironwomen at teamzelios.com and now the ladies you've been waiting for Alyssa gadeski and Haley chura bye for now Hi, Haley. Welcome back to another week. How are you? Alyssa, I'm good. Are you home in Charlottesville, Virginia? Because I think the last time I talked to you, you were in the middle of camp in San Diego. Did you make it home? I did. I made it home by the skin of my teeth because I think California was doing its best to like bring me down or something, get throw all sorts of challenges at me in the form of germs. And so I spent quite a few days is sporadically throughout the trip feeling a little under the weather as our listeners would know hearing from my voice a couple of weeks ago, but on the tail end, I was also a bit sick. So I did though, I made it home. I've like come out the other side of everything. I'm feeling a hundred percent like Alyssa again, which is a really lovely feeling to have finally. And I am getting, I had to like jump as soon as I was well again, I'm jumping in because Haley, I forget if I've announced on the podcast. I think I have for sure that, um, I'm racing Ironman New Zealand and Ironman New Zealand is like March 7th, I believe, or something like that. So I have like four solid weeks of training ahead of me and then it's like, Oh, taper time and race time. So it's coming up very, very quickly and, uh, realizing it as I'm like looking at my training schedule as well. So yeah, happy to be back East. I can get in my routine. We don't have snow knock on wood in the forecast for the next 10 days at least. So I'm in the clear there and 
I'm, I'm pretty ready to go. But how are things in Bozeman? Good. It's really warm today. It actually snowed overnight. So I ran this morning in like fresh snow, but I was so hot, which I know sounds terrible to say that I'm running in snow and I'm hot, but I was, I like overdressed because I think I saw the fresh snow and I assumed it was going to be really cold and I didn't actually check the temperature. And I got like seven minutes into my run and I was like, ah, and I'm like taking off my gloves and everything and like taking off layers. And it was an easy run, but it was, it's a weird feeling when most of the time I'm fairly cold to have it be warm, but it's been pretty mild. I would say that the weather has probably actually been better for this marathon build for me, which I did not expect a marathon in February to be a little bit milder temperature wise than the marathon in December. But our, our, our October was just so cold, but our January has been pretty, pretty nice so far. I should also knock on wood there for that because I think I could have been saying the same thing a year ago and then we got hit pretty hard, but great for running in Bozeman. I think the skiing's still pretty good. I think the mountains still have a lot of snow, but I don't really, I don't, I don't bother myself with those details. And Haley, I think our listeners would probably be interested for an update here. I know, I think we, we talked about it a little bit in your like marathon kind of rundown training and that kind of thing at some point. And I know you also wrote about it for a blog post on the Smash Fest Queen Diaries page, but you talk about like one treadmill workout that really plagued you in the last build. So have you, have you had opportunities to redo that treadmill workout that I think you said you failed in the first like time around go at this, right? But then you obviously had a very successful marathon. So we know one workout doesn't make or break it. So I think we can, we can talk about this, you know, no matter the outcome this time, I guess, knowing it's not going to impact late February, but how, how has it been going? This is a good topic to talk about. So the marathon workout that I I wrote about in the Smash Fest Queen blog was it was two by 27 minutes on the treadmill and basically alternating between I think it was like somewhere between like 618 pace down to 604 pace. And I wrote in the Smash Fest Queen blog that when I tried this in, uh, you know, November sometime, I I made it through the first first interval, the first 27 minutes, and then had like a five minute recovery and then made it, I think, I think like 15 to 18 minutes into the second one when I just, I couldn't go any further. Like I, when you're running on the treadmill, like you know, when you're not going to make it cause you'll like fly off the treadmill. So it's a safety issue. So I, I didn't finish that one and I've been hoping I'd be able to, to try that again. I honestly am not there yet to even attempt like two by 27 minutes. I can say that this past week I had both my first or my, yeah, honestly, my first good long run and my first good treadmill run. So the long run was, I think like two and a half hours. And I, I say first good one, just in the, my energy levels were good the whole time. It wasn't a, you know, a super fast run if I'm running outside here this time of year, even though I talk about it being warmer, nothing is very fast. I'm running in spikes on snow and ice, but the conditions were pretty good. And just my energy was really good for a full two and a half hours on my feet. And so I consider that one a big success. And then I did have my first good treadmill run. And, and I talk about failing on the treadmill because I fail on the treadmill frequently. (laughs) And I guess fail maybe isn't the right term, but I, I, I try to test my limits. And so this past week I did three by nine minutes at, you know, marathon pace or faster. And I actually made those. And so I guess that's 27 minutes total. So I'm working toward that, but 
to be able to do three by nine minutes felt like a big win. And I will just keep building from that. I also listened to a great interview with Jared Ward. And he said that he's a, you know, U.S. marathoner. And he was saying how he forgets his bad workouts and only thinks about his good workouts. And I was like, I kind of like that philosophy. So if I only have one good one between now and the trials, then I will, uh, I'll just go with that. Oh, for sure. I think like selective amnesia is definitely a thing that you can use in like your toolbox of things to keep you more confident and ready. Because like I said, like we have already shown that bad workouts don't make or break you, right? So why even really worry about them too much? Just let them go and then remember the stuff that's going to give you that boost and that confidence and that you can kind of wear to the start line on race day. I agree. And then I think you also know this from racing quite frequently that my best workout, you know, quote unquote workout from the past couple of months was my race at CIM. And I think that we forget that that counts. Like you get a fitness boost sometimes out of, out of racing, especially if you can come off of that uninjured and mentally feeling pretty good. So I hold that one in my back pocket too, as like a really great workout, um, as I'm kind of fueling my efforts into trials and race day in Atlanta. For sure. Well, speaking of Atlanta, not only is the race going on, but a few days before the race, we have a very special Iron Women live event going on where we're going to have a panel. We're going to have a panel we announced last week with Haley, Ruth Brennan-Mori, and Sarah Bishop, and I'll be moderating. And we're all going to be live in person, able to talk to you guys, hoping we can have a lot of our listeners come and say hi. Um, we'd love to meet you. And Feel free to reach out to me ahead of time if there are anything you you definitely want to be touched on topic-wise, but I'm super excited about that event. It's going to be Wednesday, February 26th. Haley, what other details am I missing on that for our listeners? 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. You do need to buy tickets in advance. They are at livefeisty.com, and they're $20, and it's going to be a great panel. We're going to have some really good giveaways if you're there in person. So not only do you get to meet Alyssa and I, hear us chat, talk to Alyssa on her way to New Zealand, talk to me before I head to the trials. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really fun time. And Ruth and Sarah both have really interesting stories and their path to the trials has been very different than my own, but we are all triathletes, but you don't have to be a triathlete to go. You don't have to be a woman to go. It's just going to be a fun time celebrating some women in triathlon racing at the U S Olympic trials. Cannot wait for that. Another housekeeping item here is we still have our Patreon community going strong and thriving there. So Patreon is a community that contributes monthly to help support the things that we're doing, the content that we're creating, and the podcast that you get to listen to each and every week. So if you would like to help us there and become part of the Patreon community, head to patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And Alyssa, I believe we have a mailbag question to answer this week. If anyone wants to write into our mailbag, we answer questions weekly on demand at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Sometimes not as on demand because poor Sarah here has been waiting for us to answer this a couple of weeks, but thank you, Sarah, for your patience. And depending on things, yes, we, we may or may not be like the most up to the most on demand ability. I don't know. I'll come up with something better for next week. But anyway, Sarah wrote to us and she said that she signed up for her first 70.3 Eagle man in Maryland. And that's awesome. I wonder if Eagle man was my first 70.3. 
it was up there, but good one to do. Good pick. And part of her base fitness build includes a marathon in mid-March. So that'll be her first marathon as well. So she is curious to know if she is naive to think that her fitness, physical and mental, from the marathon will help her conquer the Ironman 70.3. Some other background, she's 31, a mother of three under six, holy moly, and a first responder's wife, and she works part-time. She's got a lot going on. She's done a couple Olympic distance tries. It was a very good athlete. She's even made the podium in a few, completed a century bike ride. So she has definitely done some other endurance events. Um, she wants to keep her run mileage up compared to training plans she's seen, but she knows she needs to approach the swim bike run as one sport. That's something I, I definitely think people, people out there on the internet will tell you to approach it as one sport and not multiple disciplines. And then she's like, okay, but how? So she doesn't think that bricks are always going to be in the cards. Running is super quick and efficient for her versus biking. Swimming is a whole other can of worms for her. So our input on all of the above there. I love this question. Who's going to take tackle this one first? Are you, do you want to go for it? Or do you want to hear my, my two cents? Uh, I'll hear your two cents first. Okay. I don't think Sarah's going to like my answer, but I am currently training for a marathon and I have plans to return to triathlon sometime after this marathon. But I will also caveat that by saying that I'm a professional. I have 12 years experience specifically more in triathlon and pretty much the only circumstance that would put me in this position was the U.S. Olympic marathon trials happening in Atlanta, which they are. So I know when I, when I answer this question, I, I'm risking sounding like a total hypocrite, but I'm also drawing from my current life situation. And I don't love the idea of running a marathon two and a half months before your first 70.3. I think, you know, maybe a half marathon would be a better option because I think the injury risk from marathon running volume is really high. And yes, it's time efficient, but I just don't know if it's a direct replacement for time on the bike and definitely not from swimming. That said, if Sarah's goal is just to finish both races, I'm not going to tell her not to do it. I would just say to try to, you know, as you're training for this marathon, um, in mid-March, try to get in some easy rides and swims as active recovery. But once that race is over, get on your bike and, and probably in the pool a little bit more as well. Put that run a little more on the back burner and just trust the run fitness will be there when you need it. Uh, because Sarah, you could be the best runner in the world, but it won't help you in a 70.3 if you can't make it to the run. So there's there's my my bit that was not good po- not this the popular like, opinion yeah today. this is gonna be like dueling answers no not not quite because I I think I I 100% agree with what you were saying towards the end at least right that if your goal is blank right so Sarah if your goal is to finish both of these races as strong as you can given that you are balancing both of them right it's totally doable totally fine. And I think, you know, again, it depends on a lot of things that we don't know. So we're just kind of like assuming a lot of things keep in mind, but you know, I do think it's, it's possible and something that you could work on to have fun in both races, finish fairly strong, whatever. If your goal is to have, you know, the best marathon of your life and the best 70.3 that you will ever have, even though it's your first one ever, right. Then 
no, doing a marathon, you know, six weeks before or whatever, eight weeks, two months before your 70.3 isn't the best thing because a marathon does take a lot out of your body. It's a lot of just pounding. And for someone that does them, you know, back-to-back weekends at Ironman, I know, again, that probably sounds hypocritical of me too to say, but it does. It just takes a lot out of your body that even though you have done quite a bit of things, it just takes time, like simple season over season to put to work, to give your body like a little bit more resiliency and durability, I think for that kind of thing. But again, if you keep your expectations in line with the whole process, I think, you know, take Haley's advice that use that, you know, get in the saddle as soon as you can after the marathon and use that as like the best active recovery in the time afterwards. And yet for sure, you'll be able to trust that your run training is there and just really focus on that swim and bike as much as you can in that time frame after. And I think you'll, you'll be pretty good to go. And to your question, kind of about the mental side, I do think it's good. Like anytime you do something hard, it's going to help you in the future when you're doing other hard things. Right. So that's why a lot of times when we coach athletes, like the things that we put on their program, Sometimes they, you know, might not correlate one-to-one for training specifically, um, for physical stuff, but like sometimes it's a matter of putting the pieces together so that something is just very hard and very challenging for that athlete. So they can then take that and know they got through that and use that mental toughness in their next hard thing. Right. So for sure, marathons are hard. 70.3s are hard. That is absolutely going to help you to be able to like keep pushing and dig deep when you need to. So that's good. So I think it, what we both said, Haley, probably just comes down to like having some self-reflection time and figuring out, just making sure your expectations are aligned with what you're saying, your goals and everything are. And if you're looking for a coach, hire Alyssa, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I'll tell you, I'm like, (laughs) no. And you want to do both. No, it's, I mean, there's, there's multiple sides and it is a good question. And it is a question that I feel like we get fairly frequently. And it's interesting that we can have different answers. And Haley, we have a very special interview on tap for everyone. Can you tell people what that is? This week, we are featuring a conversation with Dexter Yates. At 74 years young, Dexter was the oldest female competitor at the 2019 Ironman World Championships in Kona. 2019 was not Dexter's first trip to Kona, and she has no plans for it to be her last. During our conversation, we talk about her start in endurance sport, which happened via a horse race, what it was like to compete in the brand new sport of triathlon in the early 1980s. And she tells us if the older age groups are actually any less competitive. Dexter is a true iron woman pioneer. And I do believe there's so much that we can learn from women with both life and racing experience like hers. So saddle up because we have our chat with Dexter right after the break. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90 minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. 
So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all noon hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. Hi, Dexter. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. So glad to be here. So first of all, we want to congratulate you on your recent age group win at Ironman Cozumel. Your 16-hour, 21-minute finishing time was well under the 17-hour cutoff, and it landed you on the top of the women's 70-74 to age group podium and made you the oldest female finisher in that race. What is it? What did it feel like to cross that finish line, and when did you know you had won your age group? Well, I knew going into it that I was the only woman in my age group, so I knew that just getting to that finish line would be a successful race and a top-of-the-podium finish. To cross that finish line was probably a... uh, a huge thrill for me. I hadn't had a real good season this year. And so I was just bound and determined that I was going to make it and make it within the cutoff time. That was uh, total motivation and really kept me going as hard as I could go for that race. And Dexter, you just referenced this a little bit, but your season leading into Cozumel had been a little tough. You were unable to finish at both this year's Ironman World Championships in Kona and the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Nice. You were the oldest female competitor in Kona and you were defending, you were the defending world champion of the 70 to 74 age group in Nice. So how were you able to kind of like pick yourself up and get on to that start line in Cozumel so quickly after two pretty big races. I'm sure that you were, you know, had a big buildup for that both had ended in some disappointment. Yes, it was very disappointing for me. I felt as though my training was good and I raced as hard as I could. Um, Both situations were time cutoffs and just, I, I wasn't fast enough. The race in Nice was just absolutely amazing. I had so much fun there. I loved the course. I was extremely disappointed that I didn't get to do the run. I was ready to do it, but that section of the Tour de France that we rode our bikes over, albeit extremely beautiful and challenging, it just took me a little longer than uh, they allowed for that race. And in Kona, it was another time cutoff. So I knew that I was strong. I knew that I was able to do the distance. Um, I just had to beat those turn time cutoffs, which were my downfall in those two previous races. I'll, I'll echo your sentiments on the course in Nice. I was getting nervous about the time cutoffs and, and I had a little bit of a head start on you, but that was, it was a beautiful course, but we've mentioned your age here a few times already, and you are 74 years old. And though you've raced Kona several times before 2019 was the first time you were honored as the oldest female competitor. Was it surprising to learn you had earned that distinction? Oh, very much so. I know that there are a lot of women that are older than me and a lot stronger than me. I was shocked to find out that I was indeed the oldest. Uh, Harriet Anderson comes to mind. I know she has pretty much retired from doing the full, but uh, she was 78 the last year she did it. And uh, 
I just know, uh, and there's others that are very well known that are older than me, and I, I was just totally shocked that I was the oldest. Uh, uh, you know, I know I'm getting up there where the numbers in my age groups are getting smaller, but another thing that I've noticed since I have been involved in the sport for so very long is that in my age group, a lot of the women that I'm racing against now are the same ones that I raced against back in 1993. So they don't disappear. Um, a lot of people will say, oh, well, I can qualify when I'm in my 60s or 70s. But I'll look around you at those other women or men that, you're, that are racing now, and they'll still be there <laughs> when you're in your 60s or 70s. I can only hope that I'm still racing against Haley in another like 25 years from now. That would be super fun. And I guess it does. You get to grow with those people and kind of you get to know them. And it's fun to probably all connect again at the races and, and still be racing each other. So we're going to go back in time a little bit. So we believe that you were born in 1945, which meant that you were an adult before Title IX improved the accessibility of women's sports in the United States. This was before women were running marathons in the Olympics, before triathlon was even really invented. So we read that you got your start in sport through endurance horse racing, even competing in the Tevis Cup, the 100-mile race from Squaw to Auburn, California, which is actually the race that inspired the creation of the now very famous Western States Endurance Run. Were there many women competing in endurance horse racing in the 1970s? Uh, actually, I was thinking about that the other day. And I think that a lot more women are drawn to horseback riding as um, just an outlet and trail riding. And I don't remember it being an oddity to be a woman racing back then, although it may have been. It just wasn't an issue that I was aware of. I don't think there was that much. As you said, it was before Title IX, and I don't think there was that much discussion about uh, women not being racing. And my mother and my sister had both ridden the Tevis Cup 100-mile um, one-day ride all the way back in 1961. And so I don't think that I was aware if there was less women uh, competing in that particular sport at that time. In 1974, which is the first year that I did the Western States 100-mile horseback ride. That was the year that Gordy Ainsley's horse was not available or was not sound enough to compete. And, and so that year, he was actually doing the first run, the first human to run the race. And he beat me <laughs> by 10 minutes. It took me 23 hours and 47 minutes, and it took him about 10, 15 minutes less less than that to run the 100 miles. So I was well aware of the start of that race, of the running race, and exciting to see that that has become a, a, a world-known event now. And Dexter, I believe that you and I actually, this is Alyssa now, and we, I think we actually have something in common other than 
being both being iron women, right? I think you also have run in the Western States 100. So after Gordy Ainsley kind of ran that year and it started to become a foot race as well. You know, the, the popularity with the hundred mile run race started growing. And so, you know, are we correct that you have, you have been on the course there and can you tell us a little bit about how that comparison with the foot race versus the horse race is? Um, well, the difference of course is very obvious. A horse and um, the athletes that run that race are, I'm sorry, but I'm in awe at each and every one of them. I attempted running it twice and I made it uh, 78 miles was the farthest I'd made it, which is to the river crossing, and my legs just gave out. But the difference between it is the, I think the athletes involved, all of the horses are on par with the runners that I see running it, but all of the riders are definitely not as fit as the runners, which, so the human aspect of it, uh, I think that the athletes that run it are far more better shape than the humans that ride. Does that make sense? I think that totally makes sense. And I bow down to both you and Alyssa for getting on that start line. I've never found myself on a start line of a hundred mile running race. So, um, I, I, I'd love to watch though. And yeah, I don't even know if I could handle a hundred miles on a horse. I feel like that does require some, some kind of fitness, but going back to triathlon, Dexter, you raced your first triathlon in 1983. You finished as a third woman and in your own words, dead last overall. What inspired you to do that first triathlon? And can you share any fun rookie mistakes you made and, you know, applied that learning and into the rest of your career? Well, yes, I was dead last in that race. And I was inspired by an offshoot sport from my endurance riding. There was some a sport called ride and tie, which involved one horse and two riders. And they, one starts riding and one starts running, and then the rider will get ahead of the runner, tie the horse up, get off, and start running. The runner will come up, get on the horse, and ride past the runner, and they leapfrog through the race. So I had kind of learned to run and enjoyed it, and I borrowed my son's bike, and which was just a basic 10-speed uh, And I did not know how to swim. I could do the side stroke. And so my first triathlon, I was doing the side stroke and thinking that it was going to take me forever. I got out of the water and went to my camper and changed my clothes and then went for a nice bike ride and then did the run. Yeah, so I learned a lot. (laughs) And my um, rookie mistakes were probably getting into the camper to change (laughs) my clothes. And there didn't have dressing rooms, though, I will say that. I think everybody just kind of went through the whole race with what they were wearing. What I have done since then was I learned to swim. <laughs> yeah, I. that first race was really quite a joke, but I was inspired by it being a local race and just something fun to do. I thought, oh, I could do that. I'll just get out there and give it a try. 
Well, and I think that's going to be very inspiring for a lot of people to hear who maybe still are, you know, maybe we have some listeners who are, are thinking that they should just kind of hop in and it can be an intimidating sport at times. And kind of the swim part is something that really intimidates people a lot to keep them from just giving it a try. So as you said, you didn't, you only knew the side stroke. So did you do anything specific to help you improve your swimming through the years? Uh, I did. I took swimming lessons because I had so much fun and was just thrilled with the start of this new sport. And it was exciting. And it just sort of uh, resonated with my thoughts of what I would like to do. So to learn how to swim, it was, it was, it was a little bit of a challenge. It was very difficult. I have an old shoulder injury. So Bilateral breathing was a big challenge for me, but I've overcome it. And now I think, gee, once I wasn't able to do that, but now I can. So, yeah, the swimming part of it was uh, a bit of a <laughs> a challenge to learn. But, you know, you, you get out there and you just do it. So... Dexter, in 1993, 10 years after your triathlon debut, you raced your first Ironman distance race at Ironman Canada in Penticton and followed that up with Kona just about a month later, where you finished in a very respectable 13 hours and 25 minutes. What made you decide to race an Ironman a decade after you first started the sport? Oh, boy. I had seen the Kona race. I had actually been there and watched it and wanted to do Kona so bad that I could taste it. And at that time, this is going to sound very bizarre to some people, but you could actually qualify for Kona at an Olympic distance race or just about any local neighborhood races. There were not that many Ironman races around. And so I would go to an Olympic distance race and hope that I could qualify. But at that time, they would offer one spot for women over 40, and being in the mid to um, late part of the my 40s, it was there was always somebody younger and faster than me, and uh, I never quite was able to, you know, qualify. I had been trying to for at least five years. It was it had just something that I really wanted to do, and so at that time, the Penticton Ironman was the one that was the closest that I could possibly qualify. And they were offering one spot for every age group. So I thought, okay, that gives me a chance. And so I trained extremely hard and went to Penticton, did my first Ironman there and won my age group and was able to go to Kona. So it was kind of something that I had tried to do for several years, but was it took me 10 years to get there. And Dexter, you raced a few Ironmans in the mid nineties, but your career put your triathlon plans on hold for nearly 20 years. So can you tell us about your career? Because I don't think it's a common one for most endurance athletes. No, it's probably not. And definitely not for women. I was a teamster truck driver. I drove big rig trucks in the San Francisco Bay area, which is, is a, was a challenge, but I was not able to do the training that I had to do when I was changed over to working the day shift. When I worked the night shift, I'd work at night, sleep in, get up, train all day, and then go work the following evening. And it was excellent for me to be able to do the training 
plus work. But when I got switched to days, I would leave for work in the dark in the morning and get home in the dark at night and I didn't have time to train. So that put my uh, triathlon training on hold till I retired. Dexter, it seems like you're pretty comfortable following your own path and standing out in a crowd, whether it's being one of the only female truck drivers, the only woman, and one of the first participants on the start line of a brand new sport, or now one of the oldest competitors. So while we greatly admire your trailblazing, we also acknowledge that a lack of representation deters a lot of people from doing activities they might enjoy. Do you have any advice for someone who feels the pull to do something but worries about feeling singled out? Oh, I I can't even imagine standing on the sideline of something that you want to do just because you might be a little different. I I think we all should uh, um, acknowledge our differences and do what inspires us, what uh, intrigues us and, you know, get out there and give it a try. It's a wonderful feeling when you are able to do something that you've wanted to do, you've been curious about doing, and you actually do it. I mean, even if you're not successful, um, I've had my share of non-successful races, but just putting my toe on the line, I think it's so rewarding to challenge yourself and find ways to succeed at things that intrigue you, to get out, to step outside and go play. Have you ever worried about what people think or are you just able to just, it doesn't matter. The the pull is more important to me than what anyone thinks of me doing this thing that a lot of other people who don't look like me aren't, or, you know, or most of the people who look like me aren't doing it. Is there ever, you know, have you ever had that thought or has it always just been like, oh, no big deal? Uh, I think sometimes I kind of, look around. I mean, as it is right now, I'm a little heavier than most athletes. So I know I don't look the same as them, but I am enjoying myself. I'm having a good time and getting out there and doing it just feels good to me. Uh, I don't think we all need to be the same person. I think individuality should be uh, enjoyed and uh, celebrated. I think that people want to be different. Dexter, in her blog, your daughter, Melania, who often travels with you to races or diligently tracks you when she can't be on course, talks about how you thrive in tough conditions, and she calls you a fearless international traveler. Do you think that the challenges of both the conditions on the course and the travel logistics of getting to the course, like Kona or Cozumel, bring out your best performances, even if those courses don't really lend themselves to the fastest times for most athletes? I don't know if I'm a fearless traveler. I do get nervous. I hate forgetting things, so I'm kind of a basket case before I take off traveling. But when I go to races that are um, out of the country or challenging, I usually travel with Endurance Sports Travel. It's a company that Ken Glaw, and I don't know if everybody's familiar with him, but he is actually qualified and raced and finished Kona 36 years in a row. So he kind of knows what it's all about and what the athletes need. So when I'm going to a a race that's out of the country, I usually will go with him and his travel company. So I need adult supervision (laughs) when I'm racing. I get a little bit uh, nervous and scatterheaded sometimes. So 
when she says I'm a fearless international travel traveler, I I I get babysat. So, <laughs> and she of course when she goes with me, she keeps me under control and is my adult supervision. I like adult supervision as well. And I travel with Ken Glaw and endurance sports travel. They do a fantastic job. And sometimes that is what it's about getting some help, right? Like even, even it doesn't matter how many races yeah. we've had under our belt, we can always use a little help, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And having a knowledgeable person there to, to get you where you need to be, when you need to be there. It, yeah, <laughs> it definitely helps. So Dexter, I've coached an athlete in her seventies and sometimes she would finish a local race. She'd win her age group, but she'd kind of caveat her, her accomplishment by adding that she was the only competitor in her age group. My response to her was always that she isn't the only 70 year old in the world. And she had to overcome a lot of barriers to entry and other forms of competition to get herself on that start line. Do you have any other good responses for when people minimize an accomplishment based on an arbitrary metric such as number of competitors? Uh, no, I, I I really don't have anything really uh, clever. I just feel that it just to get to the start line, to any start line of any race, is there's a whole world of background that gets you there. And it's not the person's fault, the 70-year-old's fault that the other 70-year-olds didn't take those steps to get there, which is the same with any age group. And where the winner is, whatever, they, everybody else didn't do what they did to get there. So that makes them a winner, and it makes a 70-year-old a winner because she did the work to get there. And it's not hard. It's just getting getting to the start line and being confident in yourself that you can finish that challenge, whatever it is, whether it's a 5K or a triathlon, a sprint, or uh, Ironman, um, just or 100 miles in one day run. Just getting to that start line, I think, uh, is all of the preparation that goes into it to get you there. It doesn't matter who else didn't show up? You showed up, you did the work, you completed it. And so that makes you a successful person in your challenge. And Dexter, earlier in this season of podcasting, we talked to now 87 year old triathlete, Molly Hayes. And something that stood out from that conversation was how fierce the competition is among the women in the older age groups, but also kind of like you said about how many of them have been racing each other for decades. And she spoke about how some of them have become like great friends because of this. Right. So I know you touched on the fact that you've been racing together, but have you formed any friendships or relationships or even like mentorships, maybe with people outside of your age groups that you've taken in under your wing or something through the years. Do you have any of those relationships that have kind of transcended triathlon? Oh, definitely. There's, uh, like I said, a lot of the women 
that I race with now were racing back in the early days and the 90s when I was racing. And uh, due to social media, we're, we're best friends on Facebook. You know, we'll congratulate each other when we have races and, you know, dread the thought that, oh, no, they're going to be there. And, but you're glad to see them. You just know that, hey, they're faster than me. <laughs> but it'll be great to see them and hang out and talk. And uh, we do have a lot of um, different people that you race uh, that are in younger age groups as well that you see and you support and try to, you know, cheer on when you see them out there and train with them. In Here in Coeur d'Alene, we have quite a community with the triathlon club, the Coeur d'Alene Triathlon Club, and we, we'll work out together and socialize together. It's a lifestyle uh, that seems to be open to other people, whether you're competing with them or against them. And doing the same races or not, it's a very supportive community, and it's fun to be a member of that community. I love the Coeur d'Alene Triathlon community, but I I want to ask, we want to go through a couple things here, because you've raced Kona in 1993 and most recently in 2019, and a few times in between, and so I imagine you've seen quite the evolution in the sport. We want to get your thoughts on a few things specifically and how you've seen them change over the years. And the first one I want to start with is the Kona swim start. So when you raced in 93 and all the way up till pretty recently, it was a mass start for age groupers, men and women, everyone all starting together. And in the more recent years, they've changed. They've separated men and women. And now they actually even have a wave start. What do you think about that change? This may be a little bit controversial, but I love the wave start. You seated yourself at Digme Beach and you got your position where you felt you would be fine. And everybody went together. You paced yourself. You got it. I loved it. And that particular race in Kona, it's a very wide area once you get into the water. So you just position yourself and go. And I loved it. Uh, now, wait. So that's the mass start. You the, loved the mass start that we had yeah. in pre- previous years when everyone went at the same time. Okay. Yes, I loved that. However, once you got out on the bike, there were huge packs of drafting, and you would see them coming back as you're struggling up to Javi, and there would be this massive group of, you know hundreds of cyclists all on top of each other drafting, which is illegal. And so I understand the need to have it, um, have the wave starts that they do now. And you don't see those huge packs that you did back then. But I think that it's a well-known fact that the earlier in the day that you can get to Javi, the better time you're going to have. The later you get to Javi, the tougher you're going to have the weather. And uh, this past year, I was in the seventh wave. So I was almost an hour after the first pros had started. And by the time I got to Javi, because I'm not a real, I'm a fairly strong cyclist, but I'm not real fast. And by the time I got to Javi, I got the worst of the winds. (laughs) It was brutal. And I kept thinking, man, I wish I had gotten into the water right in the beginning and, you know, gotten an earlier start to get to Javi earlier in the day. These are my feelings. I understand the wave starts being staggered. I understand the need for it because I have seen those huge packs. But 
I really, really did like it when we just self-seated ourselves in the, you know, in, by the pier there and, and all went together. So I, I know it's, it's not going to go back to that, but it sure gave me and a lot of other athletes a better chance of getting to a hobby earlier in the day before the winds got so quite so brutal. Yeah. Just as a spectator this year, Dexter, I can say that it was, it was hard to even have to watch. Like my heart was going out to the women who had, they had started almost an hour after kind of the race had started because of the, when, yeah. where their wave was. And you're, you're completely right. It does make it a very different day and just yeah. something to kind of keep in mind and consider and wrap your head around. If you are going to be in those later waves, because your approach, I think to the race could be a little bit different, but we have another topic we want to get your take on too. So how about the increase in women's participation? So in 1993, there were about 218 women racing in Kona. And in 2019, that number was up to 669. So do you notice that change through the years? I definitely do. In 1993, I remember the whole buzz all over the island. People were just astonished that there was actually a 62-year-old woman going to try to do Kona. Uh, that, of course, was the Iron Nun, but I remember everybody just, that was just, everybody was talking about it, and there were not that many women, obviously, and being one of them, you felt proud that you were able to be there and represent and participate, And um, but when I think back about those days there with people being utterly shocked, and now there are probably hundreds of 60-year-old women racing there. So it's uh, that's one of the things as an older athlete that I noticed because I was so inspired by her. And, and I remember telling people, I want to do this when I'm 62. It, was, it just seemed like, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Very cool to actually live that now. But our other topic, another topic was training methods. Have you changed things over the years, both with more education as you've learned things and also just adjustments as you have gotten older? Uh, yes, very much so. The equipment, of course, has changed too, which is a huge difference. Um, I look at my old bike that I rode back in 93 and I, I laugh. I mean, it's just it's not a dry bike, to be sure. Uh, and, you know, shoes and heart rate monitors and all of the data that you can accumulate, you know, your watts and uh, heart rate. I mean, I, I don't think I, I think people had heart rate monitors back in 93, but I didn't. So I had no clue. So, yeah, that equipment has been a huge difference for me and my training. I have done a lot of things to try to keep my longevity going. One of the things is that I realized a lot of people said, well, what about your knees? What about your hips? And with the running training, so I utilize once a week, I will use a um, Alter-G runner treadmill, which is an anti-gravity treadmill. And I'll use that for a lot of my speed work so that I can eliminate some of the pounding on my joints to help them stay strong and uh, healthy. I do more training with in swimming with coaches and which back then you just get in the pool and swim. So, uh, yeah, 
things have definitely changed. Uh, you can have so much more data available to you as to how you're progressing than you did back then. Back then, you simply, um, I guess, flew by the seat of your pants, so to speak. And I know that now you you can you can check data. You can have just a world more information involved or available to you for your training. And Dexter, what about fashion? Are there any trends from the nineties that you wish would return to the, the race courses for triathlon? Well, <laughs> um, yeah. How about the neon? I mean, that went through such a phase. No, I don't want that to come back. Uh, the minute, oh, darn. I love fashion. neon. <laughs> <laughs> neon is fun, but, you know, it was a bit overdone back then. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, on Wednesday, when the cruise ship would come into Kona, and, you know, you could see everybody in neon green, neon orange, neon pink, and then there was the cruise ship people <laughs> looking at what are all of these people wearing uh, it was a little uh, little outrageous, I think. Um, it, it's calmed down a bit now, thank goodness. Oh, and also <laughs> the racing an iron, full Ironman distance in your Speedos. That was, uh, you know, no. I don't think any of them need to come back. <laughs> I think we've evolved past that. Dexter, you already have your Kona slot for 2020, but looking ahead to 2021, it was just announced that the full Ironman distance race is returning to your hometown of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Is 2021 Ironman Coeur d'Alene on your radar? And also, are you excited to be in a new age group? Because I think in 2020, you're going to be in the 75 to 79 age group. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And I am totally excited to leave some of those fast young women behind me, <laughs> although there are quite a few uh, faster women in the 75, 79 age group. I'm very excited about that. And I'm also just over the moon that uh, Coeur d'Alene is getting the full Ironman back. As I mentioned before, the Coeur d'Alene Tri Club has been really trying and working with the community and trying to get it back. So the minute they said that it was gone, it was a fight that we fought and to get it back. And I know that a lot of the people in the community really support the tro- the, the the race and having it be here in our town. As for me, I know I will be racing in 2021. This year, I'm not going to be doing the half here in Coeur d'Alene because I'm going to be going to Austria, I think, the week after or so. I won't be doing the race. And in 2021, if I am able to, with my schedule, with other races, be able to fit it in, I definitely will. I have done it before, and there are so many exciting races around the world that I like to get out there and challenge myself with. So whether I'll be racing or not, I don't know. But one thing for sure, if I am in town, I will be volunteering. I always volunteer at the local race here. And if even when I'm racing, I'll volunteer at registration. So we love our volunteers and I feel that that's something I can give back to the sport that's given me so much. So if I'm not racing it, I will definitely be volunteering. 
Well, Dexter, thank you so much for taking time with us and sharing your story. I think our listeners are going to love to hear some of the the changes that you've seen over the years and just to hear your wisdom and everything that you can you come away with as you're looking back on things. But more, you know, excitingly, as we look ahead, we wish you I know Austria is a little bit off from now. You have you have a bit of time, but we wish you the best as you start to prep for that. And uh, we can't wait to just follow your your 2020 season. Well, uh, this year I do have Austria and uh, Penticton and Kona already. I'm registered for those three races. So it's going to be an exciting year and the training never stops. I'm, I'm working towards those right, right this today. <laughs> so um, hopefully I'll have a good, succe- a good successful season as my new age group in the 75, 79 This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Alyssa, do you really think we'll still be racing each other in our 60s and 70s? And also, do you think that I'll still love wearing neon? Okay, so first question first about neon. I don't, I, I don't think, actually I do think so because I think you're always going, I think you're going to carry that love of safety and being seen with you. Like that's not going to go away. So I think you will always be wearing neon, but I think it could like evolve into some sort of like trendy older woman neon flashiness. Like I, I have to think a little bit more about exactly what that's going to be, but I think, I think that's definitely a possibility. And then I absolutely think we'll still be racing. I, I mean, my swim partner that I swim with four days a week is 68 and she, we swim like stroke for stroke. So I, I want to be like Shirley and still she's racing in swim meets and open water stuff still. And she crushes me in the open water actually. So I think if Shirley can do it, I can do it. And if I'm doing it, I need someone to race against. So I'm going to have to tell you to keep doing it. So yeah, you're just locked in. You're stuck. Okay. I will commit to being healthier and keeping myself in fighting conditions. So we are still racing. And so hopefully maybe I can like, if we're doing these multi-day events, I mean, if we're doing multi-day events in our sixties and seventies, I need to be able to give you some competition. Cause I feel like you definitely have an edge in that, in that category. Oh, that's actually very interesting. We could take up some team. We could take up swim run together, which we would not be a very good pair for swim run. I don't we already think, talked but... about how we're going to do this. That's like, true. That's I mean, true. we would be great pair. I will know. Yeah. I mean, or even we yeah. could set some through hike records as like a team. And like, I, I mean, there's a lot of records out there that have no female category. So we can just go around putting the women on the board as we age and just giving other women the ideas and things to shoot for knowing that they'll probably be younger, faster whippersnappers coming for our records. But like, that'll be fine. You're making me feel very good about the future. Thank you, Alyssa. <laughs> 
All right, Haley. Well, just a reminder to our listeners, we will be in Atlanta on Wednesday, February 26th from 6.30 to 8.30 in Atlanta, live in person. Buy tickets at livefeisty.com, $20. Come see us. Say hi. Haley Chura, Ruth Brennan-Mori, Sarah Bishop, and myself. And also, if you are listening on your phone, please go to your app of choice and make sure you are subscribed to the Iron Women podcast. So that is automatically downloading for you every week. And then if you've already been a subscriber, it would really be great if you could rate and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Okay, Alyssa, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad you're at home. Good luck with your training and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production.